Hey, brewery lovers, this is Richard Fawal, one of your hosts at Brew Daddies. Today we have a very special episode for you. We are here at Silver Branch Brewing Company, before they've even opened, to talk about the history that brought them to this point of starting a brewery and where they're going. We want to hear their story, and over the course of the next several months and years, we're going to follow that story as they continue to build out their brewery, move into production mode, build out uh, the space, which we'll talk about in a moment. So talking with me today is Christian Lakey, who is the head of brewing operations and the CEO of Silver Branch Brewery, and Brett Robeson, the, I'll call him the head of hospitality, uh, and the chief operating officer. Thank you guys very, very much for being here. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Thanks for having us. So here we are in what will what currently looks like an empty office space, but will soon be your actual production side of Silver Branch Brewing. How long ago did this process start? So so right now, just for the listeners at home, we're at the in the first few days of April of twenty eighteen right now. So when did when did the process start? And, that, and let's pick it. Let's pick up. <laughs> uh, let's pick it up. What, what we mean by start, right? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, as Brett was talking, one of the things I was going to say is just the time it takes to make this happen has been, I think, looking back on it and thinking about it quite shocking. I started writing the business plan years and years ago, waking up in the morning before going to work to try to get a few hours working and that sort of a thing. But thinking about when I actually quit my previous job because I realized that this was never going to come to fruition if I didn't actually dedicate full time to it that was in july of 2016 so we're now a year and a half since that um we're almost going on you know a year and three quarters since that so it's uh it just takes a lot of time to get all of the pieces that you have to pull together pulled together so it's it's a yeah it's a it's a big time commitment for sure yeah yeah okay so let's let's call it you know a year and eight months Mm -hmm. all right I want to go back to the very, very, very beginning, though. Would you guys talk about how the idea for starting a brewery came into being? How did you two meet and discover that you had a shared interest in brewing? I think for both of us, the idea of opening a brewery started long, long ago. We've both been home brewers. And I think it's a rare home brewer who doesn't dream of potentially opening their own brewery someday. <clears throat> we were among the legions of home brewers who dreamed of that. Um, and we've just followed it a lot further than many home brewers get a chance to do. So I know that for myself, that's the case. You know, I've been home brewing since college. And wow, that long, huh? Absolutely. It's been a long time, longer than I care to admit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, I was lucky enough in my previous job to have an opportunity to go to Belgium for 10 weeks on a uh, sabbatical, which was a glorified vacation that we got after working for the organization for five years. My wife and I packed up our little baby and uh, ourselves and went to Belgium and I worked for 10 weeks uh, at a brewery. And for me, that was the point that absolutely solidified it, that this is something I wanted to pursue. So um, that's how it happened for me. Yeah, I think for me, it was... Uh, Hold on a second. That was Christian, just for you listeners at home. That was oh, Christian yeah. who was speaking. Um, we're going to hear from Brett now. You'll get used to their voices, but I wanted to ID them. Thanks for the introduction. Um, so for me, it, it started with... Uh, I was actually um, 
on a road trip with my buddy. We were up in Vermont, uh, and this was when I was in college. And, you know, I had only known Fizzy Yellow Beer um, prior to sitting down at this brew pub and then having a beer and kind of being blown away and being like, whoa, that has a lot of flavor. <laughs> um, so from there, it was just kind of uh, going on to work at a brew pub, both sort of the front and the back end, working in the brew house and then also bartending. Um, and I gravitated more to the front end of the operation. So talking to people about beer, interacting, um, doing more of the management type stuff, went on to get a job, a couple different manage, a couple different bars in DC. Um, so yeah, it's uh, like Christian said, I think separately we, we kind of have always had the ambition of trying to open a brewery. Um, and then at one point we kind of came together. How did that happen? That came from uh, an introduction that Julie Verratti over at Denizens made. And part of it was because I was the beer buyer at Republic in Tacoma Park at the time. And Christian was the brewer at Gordon Beersh in Rockville. And he was interested in self-distributing some beer. And I was interested in checking it out. At the time, I was also studying for a Cicerone exam. So I wanted to kind of go through the brew house and hang out with him for a day and pick his brain on making beer. And then afterwards we sort of sat down and, and drank beer and talked it out. I remember the whip beer was spectacular. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Excellent. So I'm very excited for the whip beer that we're going to make at Silver Branch. Full disclaimer, you know. <laughs> I have an interesting question. As somebody who's, who's started businesses on my own and worked a lot with entrepreneurs and people starting businesses, um, one of the things that I think I've seen across all of the people that I've watched go through this experience is that there's there's often this sort of defining moment when sort of the idea or the dream becomes reality. When you sort of look back and go, oh, wait, this isn't just an idea anymore. This is actually something we're really, really doing. Did you guys have that moment? And if so, like, what what was that moment where it stopped just being an idea and became what you're actually doing? It's interesting I think that those moments continue to happen with frequency. It's well, then what was the first one? The like, very, what was the first one where it was like, oh, okay, wow, we're really doing this? I think the very first one where it really came, became really apparent that this was going to happen was when we got the first check from, from an investor, somebody who told us that these dreams that we had taken the time and applied the love to turn into a document was real enough in their imagination as well as ours that they could see it happening enough that they were willing to actually take some of their hard-earned cash and give it to us to to help us make this dream into a reality. Yeah, I'd, I'd second that. I think that was a pretty big moment. I think another big moment is there's sort of like a courting process that goes on in figuring out that you're going to go into somebody into business with somebody at such a high level and working our way through the operating agreement and talking about the various things of, you know, which are not always the, the, the most fun things to talk about, like, well, what happens in this scenario and that I think working through that is a really good benchmark for our ability to work together moving forward. And so going through that process was really, 
made it feel very real for me in a lot of ways. We have a lot of conversations about what happens if one of us gets hit by a bus, which right. is not always the easiest thing to talk about. But uh, I think Brett's very favorite and mine as well is what we call the Vegas clause because I'm married and Brett is not. And so there was a lot of conversation about what happens in an instance where he gets married and what has to happen. And so there's a lot of detailed things you have to talk through and you really have to bear yourself to your partner in order to make sure that you've thought through all these eventualities. Um, and if you're not willing to have those hard conversations and it's a pretty good indication that you maybe shouldn't be going into business together. Right. It's interesting because there, um, in, in the world of entrepreneurship, one of the things that, that new entrepreneurs are often told by sort of senior or, or experienced folks is that your partnership, your co-founders, uh, your relationship with them is actually more legally defined. It is a tighter relationship than a marriage contract. Like a legal marriage is like, you know, you do this, you do this, you can get a divorce if you want. <laughs> it's, it's actually a pretty easy thing to flow in and out of, but a business partnership is much, much more complex. So I think part of um, what makes me feel good about our process was it wasn't like, you know, Christian was like, okay, I'm going to make a brewery. Now I need a partner. Oh, that guy. <laughs> you know, there was a little bit more of a work history there and we both lived in the same community in Tacoma Park. And so we'd keep tabs on each other kind of over several, over the course of several years, um, and really get a sense and occasionally grab a beer and kind of catch up and, and, and see where that person was and what was going on and what their thoughts were on various things. So, um, I think that, you know, the best thing that I would advise for anybody going into business is, you know, if, if you have a solid idea, you're going to be able to do it. Don't rush that process, you know, make sure you really give it some, some time to kind of say, Hey, is this somebody that I want to work with? And, you know, fundamentally, uh, in the beer business, you have to say, hey, do I want to sit down and drink a beer with this person? And then beyond that, you have to say, hey, do I want to sit down and talk about harder topics like finances and, you know, uh, raising money and stuff that's more difficult? Yep. Great advice from Brett Robeson here at Silver Branch Brewery. Let's move on and talk about sort of the things that have happened and how things evolved from sort of that investor moment or oh my gosh I really have a partner moment from that point what were some of the earliest challenges the sort of frontline challenges that you guys ran into and and how did you overcome those I think the first big challenge that we ran into was about halfway through our fundraising time frame we hit a point where the people who had known even before we legally started this business, we're probably going to invest in this because they've known us for a long time, either through Brett's work at Republic um, or through my work at Gordon Biersch. We had to start hitting up investors who we had not known intimately for a long time. And so there was a bit of a lag and there was an extremely um, anxiety provoking moment where we were sort of approached with a proposition by one large in potential investor who said, well, I can finish up your entire fundraising process for you, but in order to do so, you're going to need to give me preferential terms. And uh, those terms were at odds with how we had written our operating agreement and how we envisioned um, being able to control the company. They would also have robbed people who invested in us up to that point, some of their influence. And so we had to decide for ourselves whether this was something that we were willing to do or not. 
so I think that was uh, very much uh, a moment where we had to decide which way to go, and um, we, we chose to, to, to not accept that large investment and rather to continue with the small, smaller uh, dollar investors that we were uh, courting. And uh, I think we're very much pleased that that was the direction we went. One yeah. thing to note is that uh, it just so conveniently kind of worked out that in the beginning, you know, as a take it with a grain of salt, but as a loose thing, we found that the first 35% was somewhat easy to raise. The middle 35% was not easy, but, you know, we were able to do it. And and then there was kind of like a dead zone right around 70% funded where there was, I mean, we were waking up every day kind of going, okay, what are we going to do today? Who are we going to talk to today? You know, because you build a contact list and you have these are all the people I'm going to talk to and some percentage of them are going to end up investing and some are not, but then you're like, okay, my, what do you do when you're 70% funded and your contact list is pretty much out? Uh, and you know, and then you're also facing that up against here's this person who wants to come in and, and potentially close our funding, but asking for more than we want to give up, you know? So right. that was a, that was a really like a intense gut check, moment that lasted for a couple weeks so well i will tell you that in my experience most of the time the folks who go the decision you did when presented with that kind of an option uh, are always happy that they did most of the time they're always happy i don't know if that makes any (laughs) sense but most of the ones that most people i've known who've been in that situation are happy that they did it they usually end up where they need to be um, and or, that was our experience. I mean, I have to say that the fundraising has been an absolutely amazingly rewarding part of this process for us. Just to, as I said earlier, know that you go and you talk to people, you present your vision, your dream, and to know that they are convinced by it, that they believe in you as an individual or as a, two individuals together. Um, it's just amazingly rewarding. And interestingly, um, during that scary moment, we ended up reaching out to so many people or enough people that we ended up surpassing our fundraising goal in the end. So it was a very rewarding uh, experience for us. Well, in those early days, from those early days, I should say, from the beginning, what did, what surprised you the most? What, what was the most unexpected sort of thing that you came across? Uh, what did you learn that you, that you didn't expect to learn or didn't think would be part of, part of that process? I think for me, a lot of learning came uh, in two departments, and I would say lease and lease negotiation, because that's something that is not, in a lot of ways, a an innate skill of probably any human. It's more of a learned thing. And then I also think um, in trademark law, <laughs> I have I have learned a lot more about how trademarks work and what goes into them, and um, and a lot of stuff like that. So. I think those two areas, uh, with the lease stuff, what, and I'll talk, I'll talk about that and probably let Christian take over on the trademark front, but for the lease stuff, I just found that it's a lot of big decision-making with multi-year implications, so the turnaround time on things is very different than what I got accustomed to working in the restaurant industry. You know, in a restaurant, it's like, make this now, do this now. And it's very immediate. And so you're making decisions that are immediate, but they're of such a much smaller scale, whereas on on both parties' part, 
both ours and our landlord, you know, every time there was a round of uh, going back and forth, it was like, okay, this requires a lot of decision in the negotiating process. So it wasn't like we're sitting in a room uh, talking through things, which is, I think, maybe (laughs) naively in my head how it was going to go. It was more like, uh, okay, here's our offer. Let's weigh this out for the next two or three weeks and give an offer back. And then let's wait another, you know, two, three weeks or a month. And it, it goes back and forth for quite a while. So that wow. for me, learning some patience with that was, uh, I think, overall a good experience. It was just something that was so new to me and so foreign to how I've had to make decisions for the last, you know, however many years of my life. So now tell us about the trademark stuff. Yeah, so uh, it's funny because my initial reaction to your question was, I have learned so much in so many different realms. And it's interesting because for me, that was one of the appeals of actually starting a business. Um, my, my, the job that I quit to go to Gordon Biersch was with an environmental nonprofit, and I loved that job. It was fantastic. But I was going to the office every day, working behind a computer every day, and it just got to the point where it was too much of the same thing. And I love being a brewer in part because every day brings different things. You know, one day you're brewing, one day you're packaging, one day you're dealing with uh, recipe formulation, another time you're dealing with guests. So it's just a very varied uh, existence. And starting this business has been the same thing. So you know, you're dealing with licensing, you're dealing with uh, working with architects, you're brewing some test batches. So if you don't want to learn a lot of stuff, then opening a brewery is not a good idea or starting a business is not a good idea. And as Brett said, the trademark uh, law has been an area that is, um, some, well, I guess, pretty much always uh, a challenging uh, aspect for us to, to have learned about. We had previously been operating under the, word, the name Parallel World Brewing Company, and we had gotten a trademark allowance for that from the Patent and Trademark Office, and we're moving forward with the intent of, of, of starting a brewery under that name. But we received a, a cease and desist letter from another company um, saying we couldn't use it because it has the word parallel in it. And unfortunately, the way that the trademark work is that they can pretty much keep you from using a name just by creating uncertainty uh, in your life because the uncertainty won't be resolved in time and it'll be, take far too much money to actually fight it. Um, so you're better off just finding a name that you can actually use, um, that is that you can use free and clear. Uh, it's just in the brewery space these days with over 5,000 breweries out there, all of them with creative people thinking of beer names. There aren't very many combinations of words in the English language that you can use to come up with a unique and new name that's trademarkable. On, on the flip side of that, you know, all throughout this process, I think we can both look at various things that we've done that we've had, you know, if we were to grade ourselves, right? Like certain areas we'd get an A and other areas. I'd like to think we, we haven't thrown out any D's out there. <laughs> but <laughs> let's hope, let's hope <laughs> we might have we might have had like a C or a C minus somewhere in there. But um you know, on the flip side of that, I think in our case the name change has actually been a super positive thing. What it forced us to do in that learning process is really dig into what makes up a name. We, I mean, we really had to do a lot of research and dig into, well, what makes up a name and what is the value here and what are you, um, what are you attaching to it and how does it sound when you say it? And I think 
what we ended up with in Silver Branch is a superior name. I like it quite a bit more, both for how it sounds and what it means. Uh, the branch component of that name comes from this old English and German tradition of setting a branch outside as a way of signaling to passerby that we're open and we have beer for sale. So it's got a hospitality element there that Parallel World did not, that I really, really like. And then obviously with Silver, uh, the connection to our local community and then the implication of kind of elegant, you know, brand, that's, that's really what we're going for. So I think in the end, we both learned a lot about trademarks and then learned a lot about names, and I think we're better for it. I, I tend to agree. The name Silver Branch, given where we're sitting at the moment, I'm looking at downtown Silver Spring through these huge windows in what will soon be your production facility. I'll, I guess there'll be a giant fermenter where I'm... Right where we're sitting. Right where we're sitting, <laughs> yeah. uh, ho- hopefully sooner than later. Being in Silver Spring, Maryland, and calling it Silver Branch and the, and the relationship... To the importance of the symbolism of the branch that you talked about, I think, is is a better name than Parallel Worlds, which could mean anything to anybody. Let's talk about where you are now and and where where the, what the future looks like. So so what's your status right now in terms of setting up Silver Branch Brewing and and, and getting moving? Our status right now is we are have a couple of different parallel tracks going on, and uh, one is just getting all of our permits into the county as soon as possible so that we can begin building as soon as possible, which then leads to obviously opening as soon as possible. So uh, right now we're working with our architects, uh, our mechanical engineering and plumbing uh, engineers, our structural engineers, uh, our brewery manufacturer to get all of the plans together into a set of construction documents that we can submit to the county so we get uh, that approval process going. Um, so that's uh, an area that we are spending a lot of our, our time and energy on. And then I'll let Brett talk about some of the other stuff that we're doing that focuses on letting the world know we're here. Yeah, so we uh, have, having been industry guys for so many years, we have built relationships with a lot of other brewers in our kind of immediate area in, in Maryland and D.C. primarily. Um, and so we have uh, set up a couple different collaborations, which we've been really excited about. Last Friday, we released a uh, Silver Spring collaboration with Denizens and Astrolab uh, called Extra, Extra, Extra. It was an intercontinental pale ale, sort of highlighting, uh, you know, uh, bringing in malt from a couple of different... Malt was from, uh, it was uh, from, from, from Patagonia. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So doing stuff like that, and then um, working on a collaboration with our friends over at Manor Hill, we did a, a New England IPA, so that'll be coming out uh, pretty soon here. Um, we're calling that Convergent Worlds Volume 1. So we have a series of collaborations called Convergent Worlds, and part of the idea here is exploring what other brewers are doing and learning from them um, through the collaboration and doing things that maybe we have some or less experience making uh, and sort of taking their viewpoint on the world and figuring out, oh, okay, like, this is really cool. Um, This is how you see it. And so, like, let's sort of embrace that and make a beer with you guys. And so it's a good way for us to get ourselves out there and kind of give people a sense of our approach. We have several of those slated, and uh, pretty soon here we're going to have, like, a, a release schedule coming out. So... That'll be really awesome to see. Well, really looking forward to that. Let's talk about the next, say, six weeks. 
Like just the next month and a half. What are, you, what are your plans? What are your focus for those six weeks? So in the six-week time frame, within those six weeks is where that licensing or the, the um, architectural plans are going to come together. The, the layout is more or less nailed down at this point, and it's a matter of getting all of the electrical, plumbing, and other runs uh, depicted on that. So I think our, uh, four to six weeks is our time frame for getting those plans into the permitting office uh, at the county. Within the, that time frame is also we're going to be releasing this beer with Manor Hill uh, this coming Friday, and we're going to have brewed another collaboration with Brewers Art up in Baltimore and uh, with Right Proper down in D.C. So we've got some uh, some really fun uh, days of, of collaborative brewing planned and some uh, days of uh, staring at spreadsheets and uh, budgeting <laughs> and some days uh, where we're working with architects, which is also a lot of fun. Cool. All right. Last question then. What about the next six months? Where are you going to be a half a year from now? A half a year from now, we will be hopefully in the final stages of getting ready to open. Um, we hope to open anywhere from October to January, just depending on, on how things go with various pieces of the puzzle. That should become more clear in the next, uh, well, I'd say two months, three months, uh, when exactly, how we can narrow that down within a two-month period instead of a four-month period. And um, so hopefully six months from now, we'll be hiring staff, we'll be planning what our menu is going to look like, and um, installing pieces of the uh, brewery that's going to be really appealing to the public, things like our bar. Um, the brewery um, itself will be uh, hopefully being installed right around that time, if not already in place. So that's when some of the hardcore construction will already be already done and, and uh, other pieces um, will be will be being finished up. All right. Are, do you have any plans for food? Are you going to have food in your tap room? We're going to um, work with food trucks and possibly uh, under certain scenarios do maybe some catering or bringing in stuff from outside. Uh, people are going to be invited to order pizza. Uh, there's a couple local businesses here in Silver Spring that we're really excited to work with and support. I am very excited for a taco place that is opening up walking distance from where we are. So yeah, I think we're that's kind of our plan as of right now. Uh, you know, one thing that was really adamant in designing the business is that uh, we want to have people be able to have access to food and like bring it in, enjoy it. But we, when they're here, we want people to see what we have to offer as far as beer goes, and so that we want that to remain the focus. Right. We, um, of what we do you know we take care of people we want to create a uh, warm friendly environment for people to relax in uh, we want to have an element of community associated with that our focus is um, the beer and the experience that goes with that we, we want people to come to silver branch with their focus on the beer that we have made and that we're serving and our experience is that as soon as you add a food component, you are being judged as a restaurant. And uh, we didn't want to open a restaurant. We wanted to open a brewery. And so that's what our focus is going to be. Well, excellent. Thank you guys both so much. Brett Robeson, COO here at Silver Branch Brewery. Christian Lakey, CEO. We really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners have loved hearing about this. Thank you guys very much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We look forward to hearing uh, more stories soon. Yep. We will be talking to both Christian and Brett in future episodes, getting updates on their progress and 
some their collabs. Uh, hopefully, we'll be doing a collab tasting here in 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 a in a couple of weeks. You can subscribe to Brew Daddies on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever great podcasts are free. Go ahead and subscribe now. Tell your friends about it, and we can keep following the story of Silver Branch Brewing Company in Silver Spring, Maryland, together. Thanks, folks. Thanks.